Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so much for Sunday. Um, God, thank you that we get to begin our week praising you. Among friends, family, community, God, thank you that we get to start our week like this. God, I want to acknowledge um, that this last week may have been a lot of things, uh, whether that's hard or full of anxiety, full of stress. Maybe it was full of joy, full of happiness. Maybe it was the best week ever. God, I, I want to acknowledge that there's a lot that brings us into the room today. Um, God, would we leave whatever it is at your feet, God? Uh, our good weeks, our bad weeks, would we be open with that this morning? Would we be able to focus on you this morning, God, the message you have for us? God, thank you for today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, a number two pencil, uh, a bottle of wine, an expensive box of chocolate, a pool cue, and yes, you may have guessed it, a circular saw. This, what sounds like a rather wild back to school list for a college student or a carpenter treating himself is neither of those things. Uh, this list is what was inside the grave of Roald Dahl. And if you may be wondering why I emphasized Roald there, it's because I said Ronald in the first service, and that was embarrassing. But we got it right this time, Roald Dahl. Uh, he, if you don't know who he is, was the writer of a lot of the children's books you guys may have read, from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to BFG to even Fantastic Mr. Fox. Some of these books that are now movies, but you may have read as a kid, um, these were what was inside his grave, which is crazy. I don't know if you're like me, I'm, I'm doing the backtracking in my head of like, man, the creator of Charlie Bucket also, for some reason, loves circular saws. Who knows? Um, but it's, it's crazy to go down this list. I, I hear this story about Roald Dahl and it makes me think a little bit. Um, so we do, I do more research and I, I find out some crazier things that have been in people's graves, uh, from fishing poles to a guitar money, uh, jewelry, and yes, a full-sized Bentley, fully intact. I don't know how that gets in the grave and or the coffin, but it was on the list. It gives us a little window into how, what we think about our stuff or how much we care about our stuff. A scenario for you guys, uh, there's a fire inside your house and you've got time to only grab three things. What three things are you grabbing? Because me, it's hard to decide. I have too much stuff I like, too much stuff I want, that even three things feels like, man, I can only grab three. Maybe I can sneak four, put one in my pocket. But the embarrassing part about that, in my mind right now, as I think, is part of those three things, none of them are my wife and my dog. It's really embarrassing to admit, but I was thinking of things other than that. It's interesting how as humans, we care about our stuff so much or we care about things so much. We, what we find valuable is different than what God does. This morning, we're looking at things God deems as valuable. We're looking at three teachings uh, that Jesus has for people that shows value or what he values in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this passage we have in front of us, Darren did uh, Mark 10 verses uh, 1 through 12 last week, and we have 13 through 52 this week. It's a huge chunk. Uh, this 
chunk we have is a real Nacho Libre, Tommy Boy, Dumb and Dumber kind of passage. Not that it's silly or dumb, but there's so many quotes in this. There, it's, it's quotes I feel like we say often as Christians. Uh, stuff like, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Or it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. Or not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today we're dealing with a lot of things that we may quote offhand or a lot of things we may think about. And we get to look at what was Jesus's intention and by proxy God's intention with giving us these things. This is also one of those messages that I'll acknowledge because this is me and my imperfect self. That's easy for me to think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Or man, I wish my small group was here to really hear, hear this one. Or man, I I wish that person on social media I follow would be able to just catch a glimpse of what this is talking about. Or maybe even sitting in the seats being like, what are you, who are you to tell me what to do with my things I believe in, my money, my time? It's easy today to get caught up in the the weeds of this, but um, I want to encourage you this morning to pray alongside me. Um, That this morning, instead of checking out or focusing on someone else, would we focus on how this impacts us here and today? Because it does for every single person in this room, that God's word today will impact you more than what I say, more than any analysis I give, that the word of God today, which we will look at, will impact our lives dramatically. So as we move forward, if you have your Bibles and you don't already have them open, would you open to Mark 10 with me? Mark 10 will be starting in verse 13. And as you go there, um, I realize I didn't introduce myself. My name's Kellen. Um, I'm a shepherd on staff. I get to be with our middle schoolers, which is such a joy to me. Uh, I love working with our middle school ministry. Um, And if you're family, you know that. If you're here week in, week out, you've been here for a while, It's great to have you this Sunday morning. It's great to have you back. If you're new or this is your first Sunday here, if no one's told you it already, first off, hello, welcome. We're so happy you're here participating in what we see as family, participating in community with each other. Um, And for that, we have a gift for you. Um, If you wanna pop up your hand, if it's your first time ever here, not, I'm not gonna call on you. No one's gonna call on you, but we have a gift we wanna give you. There is, uh, there's one right over there. Uh, There is craft coffee. Uh, There is, is uh, um, a journal. There's a Mark notebook in there for you. We want to give that to you as our gift uh, of welcoming you. Uh, For family that's already been here, we have one announcement for you guys today. Uh, This next weekend, we have our volunteer luncheon. Uh, What that is, is Bambi, our volunteer shepherd, uh, organizes this luncheon to where we appreciate you. And so if you uh, are volunteering uh, at this church or a part of this church in that way, uh, we want to celebrate you. We want to thank you for that. So next, next Sunday after church, we got a volunteer lunch in for you. Uh, but with that, we're once again thankful if you're here for the first time, thankful if you're returning with us. Um, we're starting in verse 13 today of Mark 10, where Mark records uh, uh, this statement. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hand on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Then Jesus saw this, 
And he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. If you're taking notes in your journal or on a notepad this morning, our first point is God invites us to have faith like a child. God invites us to have faith like a child. Um, where we pick up Mark this morning is we just left off from Darren where Jesus is talking about divorce and marriage and what that looks like. Questions coming into him, handles that, answers them. And where we're coming is right after that. Jesus still uh it still takes place in Judea across the Jordan. And, and after that, we see these, these mothers bringing up their children, wanting to see Jesus, wanting to be in place with Jesus, wanting to get Jesus to bless their children. And in this time period, this, this is rather um, important. It's, it's unheard of, actually, for these mothers to go and bring children to Jesus, uh, hence why the disciples rebuke them. The disciples still gaining uh, what they know about Jesus, not having the full understanding, uh, come and assume Jesus wouldn't want to talk to the children, assumed he wouldn't have time for it. And so that on the onset is, is what puts us in a weird situation, but actually Jesus is notably carving out time for these children, deems it as important. And that meant a lot to a mother of that time period. See, mortality rate in, child, in children were pretty high. Six out of 10 children wouldn't live to see the age of 16. It's a big deal. It changes it, right? It, it now gives a picture of a mother who does not know what's gonna happen tomorrow with their child. Coming up to Jesus saying, I need your help. I don't know what's gonna happen. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's gonna actually live. I need your help. I don't want us to miss, although the greater point here being uh, Christ calling us to have faith like a child, I don't want us to miss the love Christ had for the mother in this moment. That in this moment, the mother who brings their kid, uh, he didn't keep them to the outside. He didn't let the disciples uh, push them back. Actually, he called them closer. This is not only a call to faith, but a movement by Jesus to say, I am for the people who are on the outside. The people you don't assume I'm for, I am. Shook up the disciples' world in a lot of ways. Uh, and then it immensely got more shakier when Jesus calls them, hey, these children you didn't want here, these children that you wanted to keep away, I actually want you to be exactly like them. And you may be thinking, what does that look like practically for them or for I or for the greater narrative of what this is? And I think Jesus, what he's getting at here is the helplessness of a child. I think Jesus is pointing out the helplessness for a child. The, the idea that a child needs their mother to wipe their nose or to fix them food or to take them to school or to take care of them, oftentimes, honestly, remind them to breathe at some ages. Uh, the idea of how helpless and in need of a child is for a parent. But there are times children assume they know what's best for them, right? And I'll speak to myself too. There's, there's times where a child might be like, actually, I want this for dinner. And it's like an elf style dinner where it's like noodles and candy essentially in a bag. And it's like, that's what's good for me. 
Or it's like, hey, actually, I know what time I need to go to school, but it's really just the child wanting to sleep in a little bit more, get that extra hour. And it's like, if I miss fractions or times tables, it'll be okay. I need this extra hour. That is children, sometimes uh, children think they know what's best for them in spite of what the parent knows is actually best for them. Jesus asks us, he calls us, he calls the disciples to come like children, the first children, the one who needs their nose wiped or their shoes tied or the help to get to school. He wants us to come not with anything we think we need or we ought to have or we desire, not with our good enoughs or our trying to make everything great or our own self-promotion. He wants us to come and drop all of that. He wants us to come to him as a child who needs picking up, who needs a parent to carry them, needs a parent to wipe their nose and tie their shoes for them. I think that's what Christ is calling us to hear in childlike faith. These past couple of weeks, we've, uh, we've introduced uh, something called contemplation and conversation, where uh, we put contemplation, which is just a statement, a couple questions on the screen for you to, uh, to think about and chew through in, uh, in reflection to what we've just talked about. And then the conversation is a prayer that's been written out that you can pray to start a conversation with God of what that looks like. Um, this might just be me and I'll acknowledge that this is just me. But when that happens at the end of the service, I feel like I function on recency biased or it's just the last thing that was said is like, that's the one in my head. Um, and I don't, I don't want us to miss these stories as we're going through a long section of Mark this morning. I don't want us to miss the stories ahead of us. And so I've got three for us this morning, one after each point. Um, and so if you want to put up the first one, the first one's going to be on the screen, uh, both of them. The contemplation, how does this change the, the thing we just talked about, the faith like a child? How does this change the way we have faith in God? Do we come to God empty-handed or do we come holding our adult briefcases and suits that cover up our need for a savior? The conversation, once again, this can be something you pray or it doesn't have to. If you are feeling God lead you in a different direction, do that. But the conversation being, God, you are enough. Please help me drop the things I think I need. And like a child relying on their parent, rely on you to pick me up and care for me. We'll give you about a minute or so to stew on these. God, you are enough. Please help me drop the things I think I need. And like a child relying on their parent, rely on you to pick me up and care for me. As we move on in Mark chapter 10, we get to verse 17. Uh, 
verse 17 is the beginning of uh, a story, a teaching of the rich young ruler, which we'll get to find out that character as we go on in this point. But what we see is this man come up to Christ and ask a question. He's like, what, how do I get eternal life? Tell me how to get it. And Jesus replies with the 10 commandments and the guy's like, I've got that. I know what I'm doing. I get it. And Jesus looks at him with love. Don't forget that. We'll touch on that in a sec. He looks on him with love and he says, yeah, but you forget one thing. You own a lot of stuff. You hold a lot of stuff. Uh, I want you to get rid of all those things and follow me. And the rich young ruler ends up leaving because he's got too much stuff. He doesn't want to let go of it. So he leaves. He leaves, uh, he leaves Jesus where he's at. And where we come back uh, into, uh, into our scripture is uh, verse 23, where Jesus is teaching the disciples what had just happened. Jesus looked around, starting in verse 23, and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at this words, unlike anything they'd heard at this time period, right? No political leader, no religious leader was saying this. Then he says, how hard is it... Uh, uh, Children, how hard is to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, don't miss this. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are made possible. Then Peter spoke up, uh, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecution. It's funny how he throws that one in there. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. If you're continuing to take notes with us, our second point this morning is that God invites us to give up everything. God invites us to give up everything. We see another teaching, a teaching moment that Jesus takes to uh, explain what he means or explain what's going on in a situation. Uh, we see the rich young ruler come up and ask Jesus probably like top five most valid questions you're going to ask a savior, right? If you're, if you're around the city or the area that the supposed savior of the world, son of God is, I think wh what do I do to, internal, to inherit internal life is like top five for sure. And he does it. He, he smacks it out of the park. He asks the question. He says, I, I know your savior. What do I do? How do I get there? He lifts off the Ten Commandments to him. And we got to remind ourselves, Jesus, being fully God, fully man, uh, knows everything about this guy. He knows his sins, his shortcomings, what he had for breakfast that morning. And we got to remember that Jesus knows this about him. And so when he's listing off the commandments, he knows that there's something this guy's falling short in. And so he lists them off and the guy tells Jesus, I've done all of it. I'm good enough. And what does Jesus do in that moment? Well, he looks at him and he screams his sins to the entire city, right? I messed that up. He goes and he takes his sins and he tells him to his face, no, you've done this wrong. I think I messed that one up too. The first reaction Jesus has to this person is Jesus looked at him with love. 
Let that sink in for a sec. And a side to this morning or this point is, I want us to also feel that in this room. I don't want that to be missed. That oftentimes we can be scared or anxious to approach God or to be open to God because we've already done too much. Or our sin feels too heavy or yucky or frustrating that we don't want to come to God with this this sin. For those people in the room, I want the reminder to be that Jesus looked at him with love to be our reminder too. That Jesus looks at you where you're at in your place with love. But like us, we can't continue sinning. And so he begins to lovingly with this now bracket around it, what he's about to say, tell him what he needs to do. He tells him, uh, you lack one thing, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, you might be confused about this right here because he's like, what? He has a ton of money. What what makes the difference? Who who are you to say what he does with his money? Uh, Rich man or the term rich man in the New Testament meant something drastically different than maybe we have in our minds today. The rich man in the New Testament uh, is defined in these couple ways. Um, It's defined as a person who oppresses the poor, James 2.6. Or maybe a person who has plundered property of a helpless widow, Mark 12, 40 and Luke 20, 47. Or someone who's defrauded their laborers in James 5, 1 through 6. The call from Jesus was to stop being greedy and uh, uh, stop being greedy and care for the least of these. There's a, there's a piece here that I don't want to get twisted because I feel like there, there could be a lot of times where this verse is taken out of context to spark a giving campaign or to spark money for a certain place and that's not what's happening here. Jesus is calling this man to give up his money because that has been his God. Essentially, this man has now taken his work, his money, and he said, I have this and Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you can't, can't do that. It can't be me plus something. It has to just be me. He does that, the rich young ruler leaves. And then after that, he takes a moment to tell his disciples and explain what just happened. He gives an off the wall reference to a camel going through the eye of a needle, which to us doesn't make a lot of sense. We don't interact with a lot of camels. But to them, it would have been a connecting illustration. It would have made it come alive to them. Uh, This idea of a camel not being able to go through a needle is, is impossible. It's impossible. And Jesus says it in that way to make it clear that it's impossible. That the thing he's talking about, financial gain and prosperity, has nothing to do with salvation. That your prosperity, your status, your money has nothing to do with being saved. He wanted to make that as clear as possible, that it's not Jesus plus something. It's just Jesus. So you have to give up the other things. 
Jesus calls us to, to give up everything because as the series title is this, as we go through Mark, that simply Jesus is enough. That everything we have that we think we need or want, physical, metaphoric, whatever it is, Jesus is enough. He calls us to give up everything in order to follow him. He leaves us something to kind of chew on to, um, I think, as a reader of this text, uh, a little by-the-way moment for us uh, in verse 32, uh, starting in Mark 10, verse 32. Uh, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Not only is Jesus calling us to give up everything, but in that moment, he's showing the disciples, I'm gonna do the same. Spoiler alert, we're getting close to the end of Mark, right? We've got a couple chapters left and we know how this is gonna end. Jesus is making it clear, I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do myself. I'm going to give up everything. Would you do the same for me? Our next uh, contemplation and conversation is gonna be up on the screen. I'll let you guys read that and sift through it. Um, we'll go for about a minute and then we'll come back. As we continue through Mark, we get to verse 35. Uh, Mark 10, verse 35 uh, states, Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. This is after Jesus had just told the disciples, uh, first, first or last, last or first, give up everything. He gives his hoorah speech. James and John come up to him. They said, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right and my left, not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. 
When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus, uh, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their higher officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. And said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you're continuing to take notes with us, our last point this morning is that God invites us to serve others. God invites us to serve others. There's a Saturday morning and two kids uh, hear their mom as they're waking up begin to cook downstairs. Uh, those two kids run downstairs and they realize mom's cooking pancakes. What a morning. We're excited. They sit there and immediately they begin to argue who's going to get the first pancake. Who's going to get it? The older brother and the younger brother, they're arguing about who's going to get the first pancake. The mom takes a moment and goes, man, I can really take this as a teachable moment. And so she goes as she's cooking the pancakes and she says, hey, if Jesus was here right now, he'd let his brother have the first pancake. So the older brother, he brightens up. He looks at his younger brother and he says, all right, you be Jesus because he wanted the first pancake. So interesting. We want the first pancake. We need that. Or, or uh, your mom or dad's getting ready to take you to school, right? And you have siblings in the room, you might feel this. Your mom and dad's getting ready to take you to school and they're like, hey, I'm heading outside. And you jump on your backpack and you start sprinting for the door. You throw it open. You say those famous words, shotgun, because you want to sit up front. You want to be closer. You want to feel important. You want to be in the front of it. You want to be higher than your brother or sister. It's how we operate. It's how we work. We just want to be an adult up at the front with our parents. Or we want the first pancake. The same emotion we find James and John in this morning. This idea of like, I am in it for me. I care about what's going to happen to me. And Jesus flips that on its head. He kind of says, hey, that's... This isn't what this is about. The kingdom I'm a part of, the kingdom I'm inviting you into, it's about serving first and serving others before yourself. I want to acknowledge that verses 43 and 44 uh, may not sit well with some of us, that um, when you see the word slave or even the fact that Jesus would call us to be a slave, it feels a little icky, feels a little weird. And so I want to acknowledge that this isn't what, uh, what Christ is talking about. This isn't what he's saying. Our, our modern day adaptation of what we have in our head as slave is not what Christ is talking about. This is in no way, and will the, Bible, the Bible never will be, in no way an affirmation that slavery is okay. That's not it. You won't find that anywhere in this book. And so I want to make it clear because this passage being demonized over American history to hold this over people's heads. The problem with slavery is it's dehumanizing. It takes a person, a person's hood and turns them into property. That's not what Jesus is calling us to here. Jesus isn't calling us to become property. He wants our identity in him, but he doesn't want us to lose our personhood, our image bearer quality that we have. In the Greek, the word slave means dolus, or the, the word for it is dolus, meaning uh, bound to another in service. 
greater than one that means uh, one word dikonos or servant. So at this time, when he's giving them this message, they would have understood this. They wouldn't have thought about the jaded reality we're in or where we sit at this word. They would have known, hey, this is extreme because this is a wild way to live your life in service to another. Not out of losing who we are, not losing, losing who I am, but out of this is extreme because this isn't my bent. I want the first pancake. I want to sit shotgun. And Jesus is calling him to the exact opposite here. And at the end, he also reminds them. He gives them another reminder. As if the first one didn't work, he says, hey, I just want to let you guys know, I'm going to do the same thing. See, the point of me coming was to die on the cross for you. Full stop. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his son and in his son then gave his life for us. The gospel is service. We are called to do something again that Jesus is gonna do himself and he invites us, hey, would you do this with me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve you in the greatest way possible by laying down my life. Are you willing to do the same? We have one last um, contemplation and conversation coming up on the screen right now. I'll give you a minute to, um, to sit through that one. We'll come back and close it out. God, you are enough. Please help me know your death was enough and push me to display that fact by serving others before myself. As we close today, I wanna, I wanna point out something to you guys. I wanna make it exponentially clear with this. I don't want us leaving being confused. Um, I've put with intention before each of these points an invitation um, that, that these are things uh, God invites us into. Um, I, don't, I would hate if we left this place and we're like, man, I have to do so many more things. Or man, I have to now do something. I have to now do more things, pile it all on. I have more to do. I don't think that's it. This, this passage, Mark 10, what we're looking at is God inviting us to be a part of life with him. That an invitation to childlike faith is inviting us to see, to see what God wants from us. Or an invitation into giving up everything is an invitation 
for us to be next to God. And hey, I'm about to do this. I'm about to give up everything. Do you want to do that with me? Well, the invitation to serve others is my point of being on earth with you is to serve. Would you like to do that along with me? And there's an acceptance piece that has to be there that you have to choose and buy into and be a part of. And we're all gonna be imperfect with that. And I don't want that to leave today being, I have to do more. That's, that's not it. The Christian life is not being good or doing more, or adding more, but it's about being with God himself from who goodness comes from. My ability to follow Christ does not lean on my understanding of what he's gonna do with my faith, my time, my money, it's not on that, but it's it, it, rather my ability to deny everything I personally want to do or everything I see fit or everything I think I need and follow him. It's my ability to give up my life for him. We've said this for weeks now, but I wanna remind us of it that there, this is the spot of God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I get it, I know it, but there's gonna be times where I, I can't and I need your help there. The reason I opened with Bartimaeus is I think it is a, uh, it is a cool example of what this looks like uh, practically. Um, that this, this story is intertwined in a cool conclusion for us to, to sit in. That Bartimaeus was rebuked by the crowd similarly to how the, the mothers were with their children. And he says, in, in spite of it, the, the crowd's pushing him away and he's going, Jesus, I need you. Have mercy on me. Because he has faith that Jesus can do that. So he's faith like a child that says, I can't do anything, Jesus, I need you. Later, as Jesus calls him over, we see Bartimaeus give up his cloak, thought to be the only possession this guy has. It says, everything I have, everything I own, I want to throw it away. I want to give it up. You're enough. Being with Jesus distracts me from the things I think I need. And lastly, uh, he, sa- he asks him the same question. He asks him, what do you want from me? The same questions he asked the disciples, right? And Bar- the disciples asked power, glory. I want to be next to you. I want to be right and left. Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Now, how I read that is Bartimaeus' desire to see Christ over anything else. I would love to read this. And this is how my hope in this is that Bartimaeus says, I want to see, I want to see you. I want to see what you're doing. And at the end, when it says follow him, when it says Bartimaeus followed him, it's that acknowledgement that Bartimaeus then followed Christ to the cross. As I alluded to earlier, that this is coming to an end soon. That's how I'd love to read it. I obviously it's not there. I don't know, but how I'd love to read it is in the sense Bartimaeus saying, "God, all I want is you, Jesus. All I need is you." And this morning, let's not leave thinking we have to do more, rather knowing that in the midst of these, God is enough. Simply Jesus is the reason we can have childlike faith. Simply Jesus 
is the reason we should give up everything and simply Jesus is the reason we should serve others. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we thank you for these invitations. We thank you for these reminders. We thank you um, for the ways you allow us to come alongside you and do ministry. God, would we, not be, would we not leave here thinking we have to do more or thinking that our efforts aren't enough, God, but would we leave here wanting to be closer to you? Would our childlike faith prompt us to want to lean in and see what you're doing? Would, would our efforts to give up what we think we want and desire or the things we think we need, um, our efforts in giving that up, would it be things that prompt us to see the, see the world like you see it? And God, our service, would, would we serve out of wanting to display you, not out of any selfish promotion or what we think we need, but would we serve out of wanting to see you and display you to the world around us? God, we love you. Thank you for everything you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.